This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And we are excited. To, I'm excited to kind of address, I guess, with a bigger context,、um, some of the biohacking stuff. Like I mentioned on my Instagram story the other day about how I was going tanning to the tanning bed. And every time I do, my DMs blow up, or I've mentioned this on YouTube a couple times, and I just get so many people like, Freaking out about skin cancer and stuff. And so I kind of jokingly said that it is very interesting to me how carnivores and people in the low carb space are so in belief of now the sun and how the sun is not causing us skin cancer. And like we're all against sunscreens and we're all trying to get vitamin D from the sun. But then the tanning bed still is the minute somebody hears tanning bed, they're like, nope, nope, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad.、Um, So, it's just funny to that. And so, people had asked me specifics of why do you go tanning? Why do you go to the sauna? What are specific reasons why you do those things? And the answer for me is like, I like it. <laughs> is that basically the answer? And so,、um, I figured it would be good if Judy and I talk about not only like tanning, sauna, which are my two biggest like relaxation tools, I guess,、um, and kind of things that make me feel good superficially or just. Kind of help me relax, but also a lot of the other biohacking, I guess we'll call them、uh, things. The grounding is big, cold plunges,、um, you know, infrared lights. There's just so many things that are kind of hacks that people do in this lifestyle that have nothing to do with food. And so we want to kind of get into a lot of those today and talk about them. But I figured at least Judy can bring some perspective from her personally, a little bit of information about it, and then kind of just our. Thoughts on 
why and what we choose to do and what might benefits come from it and how much of it, this is the biggest thing for me is how much of it is just placebo. Like how much of it do we like doing these things just simply because it makes us feel good. All of these things that you mentioned um, that we can define under biohacking or ways to improve how we feel in our bodies, improvements in sleep, the autonomic nervous system, and all of those areas, there's truth that all of these things are beneficial, including fasting. So that's another one that we didn't bring up. But at the core, I think a lot of these benefits is due to the scientific term of hormesis, which is essentially, and I'm pulling the content I had in Carnivore Cure. So if you want to look at the lifestyle section, it's there. Really what hormesis is, it's the beneficial effect at small doses of something harmful. And then at large doses, it's toxic for us. So the example I give in the book is with exercise. Exercise is a hormetic stress. So it's not that when you exercise immediately, your muscles are growing. It's that the exercise is putting stress on the body. And then that exercise stress then expands the muscles to then produce more cell energy. And then that cell energy, um, it exceeds the burden of the exercise so that the net result is a positive outcome. And so what that all means is when you're lifting weights, for example, you're weakening the body, and then it releases all these free radicals, which then your body tries to repair the body cells and all that injury. And then in that process of repairing, there's antioxidants that are released, initiating DNA repair. And then the hormetic stress of that is you basically build more muscle as your body is trying to do the repair. And so another example I give in the book is blueberries. So blueberries are technically a little toxic for the body. And so when you eat blueberries, it causes a stress on the body, that hormetic stress. And then your body's then will, it'll release glutathione, which is our master antioxidant in the body. And that's why blueberries are known for high antioxidants, but it's not because there are true antioxidants in the blueberry. It's that there's little doses of poison in the blueberry and our bodies then are triggered and release antioxidants that then will do more healings. From a technical perspective, the good outweighs the bad when you eat blueberries. And so that's why people think of blueberries as such a rich food of antioxidants and it's a net positive. And, and if we understand these- That's crazy. It's also the same concept of, sorry, like this, um, you can get a facial that's like a micro needling mm. facial or something on your face where it sounds terrifying, but essentially they take like these micro needles and like make these tiny print picks, print pin pricks all over your face. And then supposedly it's like baby little injuries all over your face. And then it's causing your body to flood like blood and collagen and like repair itself and make your skin better and healed and, and, and kind of like directing collagen to be produced in your face or on different parts of your body. So maybe that same kind of like micro injuries that would essentially cause you to heal better. Yeah. Um, I, I think hair growth is the same way. Um, from my understanding, they prick certain parts of the head. And so it will stimulate hair growth for the same reason. So I think huh. it's, um, I don't know if those are technically considered hormetic stressors, but I wouldn't be surprised. And if we understand that our body, if it's exposed to a little bit of like a negative in a sense, and if the our body can repair in a more positive way, then we consider that a net positive. And so that's why these hormetic stressors are good. Exercise is a stress on our body. Fasting is a stress. Cold water exposure is a stress. Being exposed to high heat is a stress. And it's that 
benefit of, well, is it beneficial for our body? And for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. So in the book, I explain how when I eat blueberries, it makes me want to eat a lot of other sugary foods. And so for maybe for me, technically, from a mindset perspective, blueberries are not a beneficial food for me because the net may not be a positive anymore, including my food addictions, for example. And and so that's where I think then when we get down to all of these biohacking tools, I truly believe that all of them in the limited research I've done, they are a benefit for everybody. But it then depends on your own individual needs, desires, abilities to then say, is cold water plunging, for example, beneficial for me? There are benefits. There's no question about that. But if you are someone that truly hates getting into ice water, then maybe there's other hormetic stressors you can use, even if it's eating blueberries, for example, that um, you may benefit. I know, Laura, you love using the sauna. It helps to, first of all, in the detox world of health and wellness, they're always talking about your skin is the largest organ. So therefore, when you're detoxing, when you're sweating out the toxins, it's a super beneficial thing to do. When you release heat, you're regulating pathways in the brain and you're stimulating the autonomic nervous system. It's increasing blood flow. Uh, supporting your skin health. Um, It produces heat shock proteins that protects the cells from oxidative stress and inflammation. I think that's some of that hormetic stress. And also because it releases nitric oxide in terms of um, the blood vessels dilating, it can reduce blood pressure. So for some people that have high blood pressure, there are studies that show getting into the sauna for about 30 minutes can reduce your blood pressure levels. And so it sounds like, well, then everyone should go in there. Again, I think it depends on the person and I shared recently, like I love going into the sauna too, but I noticed, and I think I brought this up in a podcast episode of ours, but sometimes I go in for 10 minutes and I feel very dizzy after. And Mm -hmm. um, as I've done more research, I just am somebody that cannot do the sauna for long. One, I naturally have low blood pressure. And so knowing now that blood pressure drops when you go into the sauna, for me, it's probably exacerbating my low blood pressure. And then sometimes for certain people, excessive sweating can lead to dehydration. The whole point in all of this is, yes, it's a stressor on the body that has so many benefits. But depending on who you are as a person, it can be a benefit or it may not be ideal. This goes really for all biohacking tools. It may be beneficial for some people and it may not be beneficial for some. So while I love the sauna and I think a lot of my clients should use it for detoxing, For me personally, I can't do it long because if I do, my blood pressure gets too low. I see my sugar dropping on the CGMs and I think my body is just trying to figure out a new homeostasis and it's just in a little bit of shock. So for me, the hormetic stress is too much and I felt it time and time again and I've seen it in my CGM as well as my blood pressure. Yeah. And I love it. I I, usually after like 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, you have to get out now just because there's a giant (laughs) sign at the gym that says do not exceed 30 minutes. And um, I like to follow the rules. So I always get in though, but then it's kind of like, oh, it's been 30 minutes. I have to get out now. I really love it. I also don't do the infrared sauna. Like everybody talks about how much better the infrared sauna is because it heats you more internally and it's not as hot externally. Um, Usually an infrared sauna is only going to be like around 140, 135 degrees when the dry sauna, like at the gym, that's just like more of hot coals. Um, gets to be closer to like 180, 190. I think maybe because I live in Arizona, but like 140 just isn't hot enough for me. And so I, I guess 
I don't sweat easily. I don't exercise. And so I, the things I love about the sauna is just that it lets me sweat, makes me feel like I'm getting like a good workout in without actually working out, makes me feel like maybe I'm kind of dropping a little water weight. Get, I, it makes me feel skinny, you know, um, makes me kind of feel like I'm getting good. It's good for my skin. Like I feel a difference um, with my skin. It kind of helps me take deep breaths. I do a lot of stretching when I'm in the sauna. So it also is this place where you have to just kind of sit and I usually am listening to a podcast or something, but I don't get too much just quiet alone time in my life. I'm usually working or with the kids or running around and doing something. So it's kind of this moment that just forces me for like 30 minutes just to kind of like sit and breathe and have some alone time um, and just enjoy the peace and calm. So kind of all those benefits that you mentioned are true. And for me, it's positive because I'm having positive experiences right. from it. But you could tell me that there was no health benefits. Now, granted, if it was like hurting me drastically, I don't think I would be doing it. But there could be zero health benefits to it. And I would still be doing it as often as I can just simply because I enjoy it. It makes me feel good. It's a pleasurable um, experience. Um, and it's just something that I consider like, a break for me. It's a little bit of self-care. It's just like a, a me time um, that I really enjoy. And so more than anything, that's why I do it. And I think I continue to do it. I go all the time because I'm telling myself this is enjoyable. And that's part of the placebo effect that I've given myself is I walk out of there and I'm like, ah, I feel amazing. I've just been stretching. I feel so good mentally, physically. Um, and I, a lot of that is just because I'm expecting that to happen when I walk into it. I really do think the sauna is really good for most people. I, it's just probably with people that have low blood pressure, maybe they can't tolerate it and they have to find a different type of hormetic stressor. The argument in terms of exercise or using the sauna, I mean, a lot of the detox and just supporting the circulation, both of those are there. You just may not have that muscle synthesis as much as if you're lifting weight. So that's where I could see the difference. But the outcome of the hormetic stress of just supporting the body circulation and detoxing and just having adrenaline rushing, a lot of those things are the same in both. I honestly wish that I could be in it longer. I think the longest I've ever been in there was 15 minutes and I don't get dizzy all the time. But there are times where I go in and I feel very unwell after and it lasts mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then just recently when I wore the CGM, my blood sugar was in the hundreds, low hundreds. And obviously I ate a meal. And, and then when I went into the sauna, the CGM showed that my blood dropped, blood sugar dropped by 50 points. And so that's Whoa. when I, yeah, it explained why I felt lightheaded and dizzy and stuff afterward. And so now I know, yeah, uh, well, I mean, sauna for me is not going to be a net benefit, whereas I can do cardio and sweat that way. And sure, it's not as much as sweating when I use the sauna, but I still feel really good. Adrenaline's running. I've released feel good hormones. And so that's what I may have to use to feel that net positive. Again, it really just depends on the person. Let's talk about your sun tanning. So I used to have the mindset of sun tanning is bad for you. But when I did the research for Carnivore Cure, um, I do think tanning beds are actually better and finding the right ones are better than taking vitamin D supplementation. One of the things that are really beneficial with tanning beds is that they mimic the wavelengths of the sun in terms of the UVA and UVB needs. And 
I don't care if you do red light therapy or you take vitamin D supplementation, you will never get those in the equivalents that you would get from tanning beds that mimic the sun. Now, there's a lot of the newer tanning beds have maybe EMFs because they have all these special gadgets. But if you go to just the traditional ones or the more old school, less gadget advanced versions, um, I think there's a lot of benefits that you can get, especially if you're deficient in vitamin D you will see a much quicker increase in your vitamin D levels compared to if you were to take vitamin D supplementation for a long time. Yeah, I definitely, I notice a difference. I started going again a couple of years ago because my vitamin D levels were lower. Um, and kind of the criticism I get is that it's Arizona, just go outside and lay by the pool. First of all, I, who's, I don't have time for that in the middle of the day. I work full time and, and I'm not going to do that. I also during the middle of the day, maybe I only have 10 minutes to go outside. I'm not wearing little enough clothing. I got neighbors with two story houses around me. Okay. <laughs> like we got to keep it uh, family friendly in the backyard. Um, so that's definitely not something where I'm going to go out and be in revealing enough clothing that I'm able to expose enough skin for that. I know I see a lot of people lately with apps on their phones that tell them when they should be outside. Here's how many, here's the time of day you're supposed to be out. Here's the number of minutes before you should cover up to get proper vitamin D exposure and like all the things like mom's not got time for that. I don't have time for that. If you do, I think it's fantastic. And your first priority should be to use the actual sun for that. But like you mentioned, Tanning beds nowadays do have UVA and UVB rays and you can ask. And most of the people who work at the tanning salons are going to know that. It is interesting that you said EMFs and the old school tanning beds, because if you go to what I've found is that a lot of the old school tanning beds only have UVA rays, which oh, is not okay. going to give you the vitamin D. So it maybe is a trade off between understanding what you're getting, the UVA versus UVB. You also can now the really fancy tanning beds will have UVB rays only. Um, and those are usually the much more expensive ones because like there's a type of tanning bed where you go in and it like, gives you basically like top tan, like it tans your outer layer of skin only. And then the other ones get you more like it will oxidize any tan that you already have and just make your current tan a little bit browner or deeper, but it's not going to make you red, right? So there's a, there's a lot of science behind the tanning bed and the type of rays and the type of beds and the color that you want to be at the end. It is interesting to me, though, that I still see people saying, like, I can't believe you use a tanning bed. Just go get a spray tan or go outside. Like, a spray tan has so many chemicals in it, and we're all concerned about, like, health and what we're putting in our body and lotions and fragrances. And that's why I don't use tanning lotions and tan, like, like a spray tan or something else, because I'm, I don't want a lot of those chemicals. And so for me, the trade-off is I like to use a tanning bed. Um, I can go in no matter what time of day it is. I get 10 to 12 minutes of a little bit of good, you know, UVA and UVB rays. Uh, it's again, same thing as a sauna. It's very relaxing to me. I personally feel more confident without tanning. I'm basically translucent. Um, I'm very, very pale. Um, like the lightest foundation that you can buy is too light for me when I am, or is too dark for me. I'm sorry, when I'm at my palest. So I appreciate it for vanity reasons. And then also just for relaxation. Um, and I do notice a difference with the tanning bed and my vitamin D levels. I've seen that go up. It is very interesting. If you live in a very Northern state, I know people who are living in, 
um, Montana, North Dakota, and Canada. Tanning beds and tanning salons are actually really common and popular in Canada because they deal with such long, dark winters. And so it is a very normalized thing for Canadians to go to the tanning salon a couple of times a week in the winter because it helps them with that. What's the winter syndrome or like, what's this thing called? Oh, like, um, you know what I'm talking about? Seasonal like, affective. Yeah. Seasonal depression disorder or something like that. It's a real thing. And it happens a lot for people who live in Alaska and Canada and North Dakota, like places up like that. So um, it's, it is just interesting where we are very focused on light and sun as a community and yet are still a little scared of uh, the tanning bed. Yeah, if I were to pick between a tanning bed and vitamin D supplementation, I would actually try to find a tanning bed that makes sense for you in terms of maybe the radiation levels or the EMFs. But, you know, I'm not opposed to supplementation. I think gut healing supplements and uh, minerals are beneficial to supplement when there's a place in need for it. But I just have not seen enough information in terms of why we need these high levels of vitamin D. And I'm talking about like 80, 80 to 100. I think it's NG over ML or milliliters, but we never had those levels before. And uh, we're pushing it a lot. And I know because of COVID, it's been even recommended more. But there are studies that show that high levels like that are not beneficial for us. So I'm not going to get into it here because because I think the jury's still out with vitamin D supplementation. You know, one thing with vitamin D, the reasons that it can be low is that if magnesium, for example, helps to activate the metabolism of vitamin D, and one way that we are depleted of magnesium is when we eat sugar. So for every glucose molecule, there are two water molecules. And so when you don't eat carbs, you notice when you're magnesium deficient. But when you're eating carbs, you don't notice that you're magnesium deficient, even if you are, because Mm. you're storing a lot of that water. But the question just becomes, you know, are we vitamin D deficient? Or does it seem like we're vitamin D deficient because of a lot of these other cofactors and other aspects rather than that we should be supplementing all this excess vitamin D? And I'm sure people listening are like, oh, well, it's D3, K2. But even those, I don't know if it's beneficial to be supplementing. And I think the more natural way, as ironic as it sounds, is to go to a tanning bed and try to increase your levels that way. And be outside is first priority. Like I try to be outside sometimes too. I also, again, I like the kind of the me time that I get from the tanning bed and I like the consistency. I like the even tan that I get from that. It makes me feel good. And it's not even, it's for nobody else but me. It really just is like, who sees that but me and Chris and he doesn't care. But it really is just, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel confident. I always had a friend in like cellulite or loose skin doesn't feel quite as bad when it's tanned or doesn't look quite as wrinkly when it's tanned. And so that is definitely a mental thing um, for me personally. So I feel better with it, but I think ideally we're going to get as much as we can from outside um, or the tanning bed, depending on where you live um, and depending on what you like. It's a, it's a great thing. Just kind of focus on the same thing with the, with the real sun. You don't want to burn. You don't want to do too much. You want to keep it an occasional thing. Um, and I just have to be careful not to go too often because then I look like an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our, our skin has a very powerful biofeedback mechanism of if you're in the sun too long, your body's going to start burning. And so you'll feel the pain and you'll get out of the sun. That's the way you know that your body has taken enough for your own individual body. If ideally people can get the sun, that would be great. And 
This is where I am starting to wonder, and this is just my theory, um, but one of the markers that becomes really low with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS is our melanocyte simulating hormone. And that's one of the master group hormones, and it's made by the pituitary gland and it's um, and affects our skin cells. And one the reason why it's called melanocyte stimulating is it's the hormone that also helps our skin turn brown. So for people that are low in MSH, which a lot of people with SIRS are, I wonder if we're using these biohacking tools to feel better, but really the root cause is this low MSH. Yeah. You know, when going back to grounding and using the the tanning beds, but are we using all these biohacks that, yes, there are benefits? I, I agree with that. But is the root cause a deeper thing? And this is kind of going to that placebo effect you were talking about. So essentially, when your MSH is low, your MSH is this master hormone that manages so many different areas. And so one thing that it manages your ADH level, which helps you balance your water and salt load. So if people are not level mean. Um, it's called the antidiuretic hormone. So you can you can test all these tests with blood work. So when your ADH is too low, what tends to happen is that you will always feel thirsty, but you'll always be peeing because your body cannot regulate its electrolytes. And I think when we are eating carnivore and no longer eating carbs that kind of sedate us or carbs that give us joint pain, and we now are eating such a clean diet with low inflammation, we start noticing other things that we may not have noticed before because we were masking it with all the other junk in our lives. So when we start cleaning up our diet and we eat only carnivore, and then we're noticing, oh my gosh, my electrolyte balance is so bad. Maybe you've always had that, but it's been masked with the sugar and the the water holding. It'd be like if you had... Yeah, like if you had like an ingrown toenail, but you didn't notice it because your leg was broken. Well, obviously, then you fix your broken leg. Right. And then right. you're like, dang, my toe's bothering me. Well, you didn't right. cause fixing your leg didn't cause your ingrown toenail. I just simplify it for me. So it's like fixing your leg didn't cause your ingrown toenail, but you now are realizing what a problem your toenail is because this massive issue of your broken leg is fixed. And so these electrolyte imbalances that you're mentioning aren't caused because of carnivore, but it's more that now I'm noticing them because I fixed the massive problems that I was having by bringing myself down to a baseline with the diet. Yes. So I think that if people cannot regulate their minerals after a while of being on carnivore, I think everyone needs to figure out this new balance of their salt load, magnesium, potassium, calcium. But after six months or even a year of eating carnivore and you still can't balance your minerals, I would test your ADH and your osmolality. If those markers are low, it might be an indication that your MSH is low. And if your MSH is low, then you probably need all these biohacks. And again, this is like totally my theory of everything that's been coming to play. But another aspect of low MSH is sleep patterns. So your balance of melatonin and disturbed sleep becomes very pronounced. So again, if you stop eating carbs, which sedate you, or you stop drinking alcohol that knocks you out, now that you're thriving on carnivore, but all of a sudden your sleep is messed up and no matter how many electrolytes or this and that you take, And let's say you balance your stressors, right? So you're not dealing with life stressors or work stressors. But if all of those are balanced and you're doing meditation, you're doing gratitude, and you're still not sleeping better, and you've eaten the high-fat carnivore, and you've done everything other than that, 
I would check your MSH because some people do the cold therapy to sleep better at night, right? Some people mm-hmm. wear the blue blockers at night to sleep better at night. And the question is, what if the root cause is your low MSH? And a lot of times the low MSH is related to SIRS. Hmm. So it's just this interesting thing that I believe that biohacking helps people. But I'm starting to wonder, is it a wonderful Band-Aid? Because you're not getting to the root cause. And is the root cause a low level of MSH because you're suffering from a biotoxin or some other illness? I think there's other things that can lower your MSH. Um, The other thing that low MSH affects is your immune system. So if you're always sick or if you have that susceptibility all of a sudden to autoimmune illness, you know, why? why? Why did that happen? And even if it's, well, my family has a history of autoimmune. Well, SIRS is a genetically brought down illness. The other thing that I think is really fascinating about MSH is it increases the pain because it decreases your endorphin production. So um, a lot of people use a lot of these biohacks, especially cold plunge, um, the infrared sauna to turn over skin cells and for inflammation inflammation. reduction and healing and all that, right? So if you think about it, if MSH being really low increases your susceptibility to autoimmune and pain and illness of those sorts, then are we using the biohacking to mask the MSH being low? But what if you just tested for your low MSH and if it's low, that's your root cause. And then you may never have to do a lot of these biohacking things. No, it's like we're treating the symptoms instead of treating the root cause. And I think that's been like this rabbit hole that you've been down a lot lately is like, why are we still needing and doing all these things? Supplements can be a really powerful thing in the beginning to get yourself regulated, but you don't want to, the goal is not to be on some kind of supplement long-term forever. Like at some point we need to fix the root cause issue that we're dealing with. Um, And then, you know what, if I want to go to the sauna because I enjoy it, and if you are some kind of crazy who loves getting in a cold plunge because you think that it's like fun and uh, gives you a good rush, then you go for it and you enjoy that. But it's not something that you have to do in order to physically heal something or feel better um, because maybe there's a root cause issue that it's that's happening for you. Yeah. And I think all of these things can help you feel better, but temporarily. The, the question yeah. always is why if most people in America don't use a cold plunge and they feel relatively healthy, then why do you need it to be healthy? Like that's my well, question I think the that argument I always would be that. No, the argument I think from people would say is that most people aren't right, like right. relatively healthy or they don't even feel good. No. So then the comparison should be against all carnivores that don't do cold plunges that feel better, right? Like I've never done right. a cold plunge. I've tried to using cold shower. I hate it. So I'd rather figure out if I have a root cause issue, then I'm going to figure that out rather than force myself to do cold therapy when I don't like it. I get that there's benefits. I mean, I could read off a list of them to the people that are listening right now. But the question is, if certain people only feel better after they do cold plunges, and that's the only way they can sleep better at night, or they're, they're modulating their immune system, or they're having less pain. Right. Not everybody lived in cold climates. If we were to always talk ancestrally and those arguments that people make, the question is, why do you need that cold plunge? And I'm not saying it's there's an issue with the cold plunge. My thing is always about getting to root cause. And yeah. if you need a cold plunge or ice baths or whatever the other biohack you're using, if you need it in order to be not in pain, right. not thriving, but just not in pain, 
then I think there's a deeper root cause. I, I really am getting right. to the point that I believe that. Another thing with the low levels of MSH is you cannot regulate your gut permeability. So this is one of those situations where if you're eating carnivore and your gut is still wonky, even after a year, I don't think any gut supports it. No level of hydrochloric acid probiotics. I mean, those, if they work in the first three to six months, then that's what you needed. But after that, if you still are not regular, I think there's something deeper. And then also, this also goes to the low testosterone and androgen. That's another marker. So for a lot of the men that end up coming to carnivore and they say they have low T, what if they're suffering from low MSH? And again, there can be several reasons you're low with MSH. But what if it's also because you're suffering from a biotoxin illness and not because Mm -hmm. carnivore is making your testosterone low, right? right? Maybe when we're eating all the carbs and the processed foods, we don't know that our low, low T is low T because we don't care. But once we start tracking because we're trying to be healthier and we see that marker not improve, is it really just carnivore? Or is it that there's some other underlying thing and now without all the noise, we're starting to be able to get to root cause? Yeah, that's so interesting. And because it is like some of the things that people are critical about. It's like, did you even notice if those were a problem for you before? Like, why is everybody so concerned about what that number is? When are we asking the general? Nobody cared when I was eating gas station food and pizza every day, like what those numbers were for me. And yet now somehow people care all of a sudden. But I do. I think the key point that I'm taking away from what you're saying is just about getting to the root cause. And, you know, we've said on here before that carnivore can take you to a baseline of great understanding like what are is happening in your body that's being caused by food and it can fix so much and it can heal so much but it also can't fix and heal everything and then if you go down to strict carnivore and then you are still having issues then it's time to find out okay what is causing these things that can't be fixed by food and it's maybe it is the chronic inflammatory response syndrome or maybe now it's this low msh or maybe it's some other type of condition or something else that's going on that you need to work on fixing that root cause and not just continue to incorporate other things to fix the symptoms and to put a bandaid on the symptoms that you're having. Yes. I I am starting to believe that people should, as part of their wellness blood work every year, that they should check certain inflammatory markers that they do not include. I know that we always talk about CRP, A1C, some other markers and insulin as well, and maybe see peptide as inflammatory signs. But we have a whole different system, our immune system that has other markers of inflammation that may be high in people with autoimmune. And one of the markers that I think most people should check is our MSH levels. And if, if that marker is low, then your chance of everything I just brought up can happen. So mm. maybe it's not the diet, right? Maybe carnivore has cleaned up the noise And now if we're suffering with pain, now if we're suffering with sleep and electrolyte imbalance and low T, maybe it's because we're getting closer to root cause. And this is the part that saddens me a bit is instead of saying, oh, maybe there's something deeper I need to find, instead people start adding back carbs. So then it muddies the noise again. And then it's like, oh, well, I am sleeping better, but how do you know it's just because you've now band-aid the situation? If you eat the most cleanest diet, which is meat-based, and you are feeling less good, even after implementing macro changes and timing of meals and a bunch of other things, maybe there's a deeper thing. I just think that biohacking is good, 
And there's benefits, especially if you enjoy these specific things. But I think it's also very expensive to use for the rest of your life to be able to feel, I hate using the word normal. That's where I keep pausing, but to feel normal, right? To feel less pain. Yeah, ideal. I think, let me, not only expensive as far as money goes, but also expensive as far as time goes. Like there's people, now the new one that I keep seeing everybody talking about the last few months is the grounding. And I truly don't understand that. And I, and I'm not calling anybody out specifically, but I'm just saying, I don't get it. Number one, I don't get it. Number two, this is Arizona. We don't have real grass anywhere. We also have like bugs, like our ants bite you. We have bugs that bite and it's mean and like the ground is hot and we, the dogs can't walk on the ground or whatever. Like I don't understand the grounding thing. I don't understand like what that provides, I guess. I just don't get it. That's my personal ignorance, but also it's like, it's supposed to happen in the mornings with the sunrise. That's like way too early for me from a time perspective. For part of the year, it's just like way too early. I don't have time to sit outside and have a put my feet on the ground for an hour in the mornings and watch the sunrise. Um, I, you know, have work a full time job, and so like half the year, that's just like way too early, and I'm still sleeping. And then the other half of the year during the winter, it's like I have to be at work um, during that time, and so not only is it expensive with money to buy a cold punch machine or to do a lot of these other things, but the time that it takes to incorporate, like if you have a morning routine that takes you three hours to get through it before you feel like you can be fully optimized for your health. And I'm not exaggerating. There are people in this space who have like a three hour morning routine. Okay. Where they have to do all of these things in order to start their day. And I'm so happy for them that they have the time to do that. I don't know. My biggest soapbox that I've been getting on lately is like, why are we spending like we have to live this life long term in a way that works for our lives. And rather than changing your entire life to fit the ideal diet, like why not eat the diet that lets you live your ideal life? Right. Like I cannot and will not. I choose not to spend my time doing a lot of these things throughout the day because that doesn't give me the ability to live the life that I want to live, to work my job, to spend time with my kids, to do these things that I need to do within the day. And maybe that's watch TV. Like maybe that my ideal life is includes watching TV. And that's just what I choose to do instead of going for a walk and getting my vitamin D or whatever I'm supposed to do. Like, I understand I have to make huge changes in my life to be healthier. I had to cut out the cupcakes and the cookies and I have to focus on my sleep and I got to do all these things. But at some point I can't live a life that is not ideal for me. Like I have to be able to enjoy this life that I'm living. And if you tell me that I have to do a sunrise and a grounding and a cold plunge and do these other things and spend this time meditating and walk 5,000 steps and do all these things, like I no longer want to live that life anymore. Right. And we have to be able to find a way to make this diet work And I think we sometimes say like, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, but like, is this the lifestyle that I want to live? Like, I want to be able to find a way to incorporate this diet in a way to live a life that I still want to be a part of and that I very much enjoy, not where I feel like I'm having to do all these rigid things in order to be healthier because I still want to be healthy though. I don't know. That was my, that's my rant that I've been going on lately. Um, all over the place. What are your No, no, no. It makes sense. So I have many, many thoughts. So I agree. I think that if people wanted to take in everything that everyone recommends by 
every minute of every hour, we should be doing something that would maximize our sleep, our stress, our circadian rhythm. You see things in the wellness space that says, if you sleep by a certain time, you detox the most. And so therefore, but I naturally am a night owl. Like I naturally am somebody that sleeps late. And, but as long as I get my six to eight hours of sleep and I'm rested, I don't think it's much of an issue. And I don't want to wear one of those HRVs to make sure And again, it's a placebo effect of your readiness score in the morning is 100 versus 60. And if you're at at 60, it's saying, oh, maybe you should take it easy because you're not, you didn't get enough rest. Well, how much of that becomes a placebo effect of, oh, I should be really careful because this machine told me I'm not as ready to take on the day. And then you take it easy. And it's just, that's where I have a lot of clients that use it. If it motivates you to sleep better and have better sleep habits, I'm all for it. But If it affects you where you are now, have this placebo effect of, oh, I can't do much today because my HRV says today my readiness is low. (laughs) That's where is is this machine dictating your life, right? Right. But if it helps you to improve your habits, that's good. And, And then there's just things like that all the time, right? If you wake up in the morning at a certain time, the light will hit you and your circadian rhythm. And, and that kind of goes to the grounding. So the whole explanation about grounding is that the earth has a negative charge. And so when you essentially are walking with your feet on the ground, it's basically finding a homeostasis in your own system. So it supports your biological clock, your circadian rhythm, and it even can balance like your cortisol levels. And again, these are the benefits. It's to reduce your stress, improve mood, reduce jet lag, um, because you're becoming essentially one with the earth, right? And it it uh, regulates your autonomic <laughs> nervous system. Okay, so I it just okay, sounds so, so woo woo. I'm sorry. Like I hope that I know, people I know, like but, it, but like where, like you said, how much of this is like I am one with the earth, and I am like how much of it works because you believe it works versus like would it work the same for me as somebody who doesn't believe that it works versus somebody who's like truly expecting to feel better by doing it? No, I I believe the placebo effect is 100% real. I mean, it just shows it with the FDA drug. So I know it will not benefit you as much as somebody that truly believes it. But here's the other things, right? Like you said, if you're walking on concrete, that is not grounding. I told my kids about grounding many, many years ago, and they ground supposedly on the concrete. I'm like, boys, that's not grounding, right? You're you're standing on man-made material. The other thing is, well, what are they spraying on the grass? Are they, are you being exposed to glyphosate, right? The Roundup that they're spraying on the yards. In most schools that I, when I did the research for Carnivore Cure, most schools and public parks use Roundup and other, that's why there's no bugs. So you're, yes, you're walking on the grass to ground, but you're also getting exposed to a lot of those toxins that for most public areas, they spray it. So that's how they are balancing the level of bugs and mosquitoes and so on and so forth. And if you are really into a lot of the wellness space, there's also issues with grounding because one of the top ways that you can get parasites is through walking barefoot. And no one talks about these things. That's why I choose to stay out of it and not share either or. When my clients ask me about grounding, I'll share these things. But you can go either way with grounding. There's benefits. Sure, if you walk in the ground, there's nothing wrong with that. I think not being in really tight shoes that bind your feet is very beneficial. I think we should be walking on the ground. That's that's great. But there are risks. There are risks of, just like we talked about in the raw versus cooked, 
there are risks with parasites and there are risks with the toxins of whatever um, area you're walking in. Or what if you get a tick bite that then can cause Lyme? I mean, this is not to fear monger, right. but it's just there's pros and cons to everything. And again, I have to say, I mean, I'm not a morning person, but if I want to do the grounding thing and wake up with the light at uh, the sun rising and get that in my eyeballs. But if I am not naturally a morning person, why do I have to do that? And let's say I feel incrementally better, right? My pain has gone down a little bit or I sleep better or I'm balancing my electrolytes or what, whatever the other things are. But am I band-aiding it with this grounding yeah. or this, the light rather than finding my root cause? And that's where I think, going back to what you're saying, you have to find what works for you because I also have clients that try to be the best student because they, they believe if I follow my protocols from my Lyme doctor, my SERS doctor, my nutritionist, my psychotherapist, my blah, 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 my internet uh, gurus, then I'm going to finally heal. And so they believe they have to find that. And I have one client that became the best student because they had to stop their schooling because they got so sick. And what ended up happening is with all these providers they were working with, they got so overwhelmed right. with the level of sessions they were having with doctors and driving all over the place. And their body basically just ended up collapsing or they got into a free state of, I'm not going to do anymore and I'm not going to heal. And one last thing took them over the edge. And the only thing that got them better after a year of doing all of this stuff in their life was by going on vacation to Hawaii. And that tells me, it doesn't matter if you know every single biohack because you can actually make it a stressor in your life. This is where that orthorexia comes in. I can only eat the grass-finished, grass-fed. I can only support the local farmers. I can only eat beef from um, and, and tallow, not from the grocery store, right? All of this ends up becoming orthorexic. The level of stress that we can do with our mindset. And th that's why there's limbic system retraining where we are trying to teach our brain not to overreact. There's there's people that have been in the wellness space for so long that they're so scared of even stepping on the grass because of the glyphosate, or they're so scared of eating certain foods because of the, the seed oils. And so they get to a point of such paranoia of even getting out of their house or being exposed to something that they have to now go through trauma therapy to undo a lot of that learning so that they can live their life. Well, so that when you're talking about you want to live this life, I, I totally get it because I see the ramifications when people get so into biohacking, when maybe what you needed to do was check one marker of MSH and then figure out why is that marker low so that I can fix it. And that's, I think that's a perfect nutrition with Judy answer. The Laura <laughs> answer is maybe you just need to chill out. Like, and that's not the answer. Right? Judy knows there's root cause real things, but I think some people just need to like, just take a deep breath. Like it will be okay. I don't know. I'm going to, Saladino posted a reel the other day where he's like sitting in some creek okay. and he's talking about how like we can't be people are not meant to live in cities and it's making them their nervous system is being traumatized because of the right angles and there's too many harsh lines and right angles in cities and man is not meant to live that way and we can only be in a true un harmful state if we are in nature with with round lines and all these different things. And I'm like, dude, we all cannot just pack up and go and move in the middle of nowhere <laughs> of Costa Rica and live on our social media budget and income and selling supplements and go surfing all day long and just spend our whole life optimizing our health. And like, it's, you know, that's just not realistic for people. And I think sometimes though, you hear that message and you're like, I will never be 
the most healthy I can be because I live in the city. Right. Like I grew up running around in farmland, Indiana with bare feet. I love it. When we get to go back to West Virginia, visit my family, my kids run around like barefoot, but like, we don't do any of that here in Arizona because of the reasons I mentioned earlier. If I spent all my time worrying about like, I can't be truly healed and healthy because I'm not walking on the ground and getting my negative charge and how much toxic mindset am I causing myself or like how much am I like the sleep thing that you mentioned, like how much am I looking for ways to feel bad? And because I'm not living this ideal way that somebody told me to. And listen, I, I like the comforts of living. I've always thought I would like grow up in the middle. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I thought that that's what the life that I would want, but I'm not going to lie. Like I love having a Costco 20 minutes away. So I'm a Costco girl and I am going to stick with living near a Costco. Um, and this is the life that I want to live. And I am learning to like embrace my life, be happy with my life, find a good balance between making healthy, positive changes that don't hurt me. And then also just like me personally, I need to chill. I don't have low MSH. I don't have the things you're mentioning that are causing me issues. I need to work on reducing my stress. I need to work on, you know, just not stressing out about eating some pickles in a chicken salad or if my friend calls me up and wants to go to lunch, but it happens to be during my intermittent fasting window, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm fine with that. Right. Imagine living your life. And some of these people with, they will only eat regenerative grass, finished zero seed oils, all these things. But imagine telling your friends and family, like, no, I'm sorry. I can't eat in this restaurant because they don't serve regenerative grass, finished local meat with zero seed oils and zero seasonings. Like I can't go with you and I can't do these things. Like, I don't want to live that life. And I think that we have to find a balance between being healthy, eating an ideal diet, and then also just what is the life that I want to live and how can I do enough? How can I do things that help me live this healthy life without it turning into an obsession? Um, I, I go back and forth with social media and this podcast and all these things because like I am in this place right now where I'm just trying to live my life. And I don't really want to talk about this stuff all the time anymore. (laughs) And I like talking about it with you because we're friends and we can kind of banter about these things. But like, if it wasn't for social media, I would just be living my life every day. And I would happen to eat mostly meat and eat only meat and not eat the junk food. And it's just like, I am not carnivore Laura dot, 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 dot. I am just like Laura, mom, working friend, like all these things who happens to only eat meat and like what my diet is doesn't define me. And I'm sometimes tired of making it something that I talk about so much. I think it comes down to two things. One, if you are, were metabolically unwell and then you eat this way and you heal and you have community, I think that's really important. Yeah. Those people probably don't need, and I think you and I kind of fall into that, right? Because I don't suffer from chronic illness and you don't either. So I know some people will say, you don't understand how it is to suffer from chronic illness. I do because all my clients suffer from chronic illness. And I always bat for the people that are the most unwell in our community. And so for us, we don't necessarily need to do the biohacking. If we want to add more to our life to benefit, if it reduces stress, if it makes us feel better, releases endorphins, fine. But then there's the people that need the biohacking because they're really truly unwell, which is most of my clients. And as I'm uncovering, as they're not healing with carnivore, and it doesn't matter if they're eating grass finished or not, because that really does not move the needle, by the way. But 
when these people need it, and as we test these markers that aren't talked about on the social media space, we find that there actually is a deeper root cause. And it's not these biohacking things that are ultimately going to fix them. They may need them forever as a Band-Aid, but it's not what's going to fix them. If we're trying to heal forever, if there's another COVID pandemic or another thing that makes life hard where you can't use these biohacks, what are you going to do then? If if you can't wake up in the morning because you're in some other country where there's like barely any light, what are you going to do then? And it just makes me think we really need to find the root cause because if we can find the root cause, then most of us can heal. And then if we can heal, we can live our lives and choose what we want to add to our lives to make us happy or not. Instead of I have to do this because that's the only way I can walk today. And that's why I think biohacking is great, but only to a certain degree. And that's why I don't talk about it much, because for many people, it can be a Band-Aid. And I am truly, truly for that root cause. You know, I have respect for Paul for several things, but I also find it unfair that, like you said, I didn't know he talked about circles and squares and or right angles. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, but I I think I kind of understand what he's talking about. But the thing is, it's not fair because he also moved to a different country and did not he he didn't have to uproot his family or did he take his friends or his loved ones there? I don't know who he's living with over there, but one of the biggest cures of all trauma and illness is genuinely feeling connection. And if your connection is only through the internet, you're not going to feel that level of even the 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 power of touch yeah. and of healing from just the ability of touching. So I don't think we are sharing everything. I mean, community is so, so important. And I think it's why you and I both do this podcast. So we have the water cooler conversations of, uh, do we really need the grounding? Do we really need the lack of PUFAs or the seed oils? We, we want to make this sustainable for people so that people can live their life and thrive and eventually not even listen to this content. Right. And, and when we hear this fear mongering in a sense of you have to live this way or you have to do this or you have to take this thing or else you will not get better. Well, let's get to the what is making us not better. And that is the true nutrition with Judy thing is all of these are fine, but just get to your root cause. And my question is everything you're doing, even if it's supplements, even if it's all of your biohacking benefits, if you removed all of that and you had the bare minimum, which is truly the way we lived, right? We had nothing. We lived on the ground. We ate what we could find, which was ideally big animals that had a lot of fat and we had community. And if you don't have those things, which I think those are our necessities, look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Other than that, we really don't need all the other stuff. And if you need it, it has to come down to why do you need them? And if it's because of a pain or an underlying illness, find that underlying illness. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I are here because of the community element. I still share, but I also push so much to do things in person where, like you said, if your entire community is people that are online, like I have people that I've met, but you and I try and we work very hard to see each other a couple of times in year in person, even though right. we talk all the time. I have other people like Barbara and I are like constantly like flying all over the country, like trying to hang out with each other. My friends that are in Colorado, like it's, it's so important. I have met people through social media and that is amazing. But without spending that time together in person, you truly don't get that it's, it's a very different connection that you can get by spending time with people in person. And I am a huge proponent for like 
trying to take social media and meet people who are like-minded and then turning that into real life friendships uh, of people that you can connect with on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I know this is somewhat controversial, but I think that part of the reason why people got more sick during the pandemic is because we isolated ourselves yeah. and we are humans that are meant to be in communities and to thrive in communities. That's why there are sayings like it takes a village to raise children because it really does. And and when we are instead saying we need a biohack and fine tune our diet and and a lot of these things at the end of it, if you really look into it, it ends up becoming very isolating, right? You you can't go to a restaurant and eat with your family. So you decline a community so that you don't get exposed to possible toxins. Right. Like that to me is not living. And I don't think that's holistic health wellness. Yeah. I don't. I, I think at the core of it, we are made and designed to live and thrive with one another. If we outcast that so that we can eat the highest quality meat, or so that we prioritize our morning light show or ground show. I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't make light of it, but I mean, it's just, I don't get it either. Yeah. I think arguably community is the most powerful thing. And one thing I I feel is when I connect with my clients one-on-one and we cry together or we laugh together or we send each other virtual hugs, there is a level of connection that no Facebook comment or Instagram comment has that level of connection. I mean, think about when we went to KetoCon and we hugged your your community, mm-hmm. right? There is such a level of connection that's so different than just words that are typed. Yeah. And I know that that connection is real too. So I just find it odd when... You know, again, I respect Paul, but I don't know what community has out there, and I'm sure he does. But to uproot your life is considered one of the biggest stressors for people. And and why don't we talk about that? Or why don't we talk about the the carbon footprint of planes, right? It's, it's just, I, I choose not to go down that route, but it's just, we have to find what works for us yeah. uh, because we ideally, it's a short life. We want to live the best. But we want to be salt in this world and like love on each other. And that that's the whole purpose of life is to be better and be better as community. And when you shut yourself out so that you can maximize your life, is that really a life worth maximizing? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's my thoughts on it. So do these things if you enjoy them, but look for the root cause and make some connections along the way. Yeah. And if you check your MSH, let me know. I'd be very <laughs> interested. I'll put a link to the melanocyte simulating hormone. But I truly, that marker is so important. I, I'm guessing in 10 years or so, that marker will be very well known. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. 
You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>